0: If he walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. Finished. It's a word we've been camping on for the last few days here at church at the mill. We get it from what Jesus said on the cross. If you've ever studied the story of the crucifixion, Jesus made seven statements while dying for our sins. I'll remind remind you of them briefly. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do as they were nailing him to the cross, showing his compassion. He told a thief who had repented of his sin and said, Remember me, Lord. Today you will be with me in paradise. Because he was the oldest son of his beloved mother, Mary, he took care of her by saying, Woman, behold thy son, giving the care of Mary to his cousin, John. A little bit later, he cried out in despair, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, not only feeling the spiritual weight of death, he felt the physical weight of death when he said the words, I thirst. And then the very last statement Jesus made before he died, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That's six of the seven statements. But the most famous one in order is actually the sixth one I have not mentioned yet. It is when Jesus cried aloud, what translates in the English as three words, it is finished. It is finished. Last week we began to unpack what was finished. Jesus finished a lot. Paul referenced it in the book of 1 Corinthians. In fact, if you have your copy of God's Word, I want you to take it to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we've been quoting verses 56 and 57, whether you have a smartphone with a Bible app, a device of your choice, or you have a printed copy, as I prefer to bring to church. Verse 56 and 57 of the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Paul said these words, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, that's what we just got through celebrating, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at those words I've underlined for emphasis, death, sin, and law. Last Sunday, we saw how Jesus finished the law. The word finish in that application really speaks to bringing it to completion. Remember what I told you as we ended our time of worship last week? God, the lawmaker, loved me, the lawbreaker, so he sent Jesus, the lawkeeper, And he treated the law keeper like a law breaker so he could treat me a law breaker like Jesus the law keeper. And upon faith in the law keeper who has overcome the law for the law breaker, the law enabler, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in me. So that when the law maker looks down at the law breaker, he does not see the sins of the law breaker, but he sees the righteousness of the law keeper. And Jesus finished the law. Friday night, we gathered in this place for an incredible time of worship, one that I'm still unpacking in my own spirit. And we talked about how Jesus finished sin. Peter said these words in the book of 1 Peter. He, referring to Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Friday is when we celebrate the death of Jesus in our place. His blood shed for our sins. And I told you as we exited here on Friday evening, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And we come today to celebrate Sunday and how Jesus finished death. Jesus defeated death by dying and being raised From the grave. This is exactly why I've chosen to preach to you a one verse message. Some of you just tuned in. You're like, oh, glory. I got a ham in the oven. I got places to go and people to see. We got to get to Mama's. And he's going to do one verse. I am. I am going to do one verse. The 58th verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You see, the book of 1 Corinthians was written by Paul to a very much struggling church. Corinth was in what is now the area known as Greece. It was an area that was diverse in beliefs and heavy in sin. In fact, one pastor out in California joked with his congregation of the similarities between Los Angeles and Corinth when he asked his church to turn with him to the book of First Californians, chapter 1. Now, in all, in all joking aside, we don't need to pick on our friends on the West Coast. Every sin under the sun is available in the upstate of South Carolina In fact, the religion of the day that we're seeing now is pick out a group of beliefs that work for you and make that your truth and deny anyone that tells you there's an absolute moral authority over your life. And yet we come to the truth of the scripture. And one of the things that Paul had to deal with in the book of 1 Corinthians Among a laundry list of issues of division and dysfunction and dissension, there was sin in the church. We're not talking about people that don't know the Lord. We're talking about church folk there in Corinth who had struggled with sin. There was sexual sin, moral sin, social sin. There were people taking advantage of leadership opportunities. There were others who were backbiting and gossiping. There were some who were not being honest and suing one another in lawsuits in the world. There were still others who were dealing with the power struggle that comes when they allow themselves with this preacher or that preacher or this preacher. If you ever want to see a book of the Bible where Paul deals head-on with some of the same issues that cause churches to divide, read the book of 1 Californians, 1 Corinthians. You'll find it there. But in a fascinating turn of such beautiful poignance, Paul goes back to the resurrection when he prepares to end this book. The 15th and 16th chapter really deal with some endings that we would normally hear. We see that in the 16th chapter, some greetings, some final instruction. But in the 15th chapter, Paul nails down this. Everything about the Christian life hinges around an empty tomb. If we ever get past the amazing reality of Jesus rising from the dead, we will quickly lose our foothold in our ability to live according to the will of the risen Lord we just got through celebrating. In fact, if you would allow me to, Sunday is a great day of celebration of the resurrection. But this morning, I want to leave you with a challenge about application of the resurrection. You look so good, and it's been two years since I've seen you on a Sunday morning We call Easter. Some of you have new dresses on. Some of you are wearing new coat, a new tie. Some of you may even have Easter egg socks on like I do. Come on, somebody. You've got a ham in the oven and a few deviled eggs are going to give their life in the name of the risen Lord today. And then you're going to have an Easter egg hunt with the babies and you're going to end up in a comatose ham and chocolate-induced nap later this afternoon. I'm all about it. But instead of just focusing on Easter's celebration, let me ask you for just a moment to ponder with me Easter's application. What I mean by that is, is that how will your life look different on Monday because the tomb was empty on Sunday? There are no other Sundays in the year where more Christians attend a worship service than Easter. I find this incredibly encouraging. I see it as a potential blessing and an honor to preach to people I might not have seen in a while. But in my heart of hearts, what I care most about is not whether or not you come back Sunday next week, though I hope you do, it's how do you live your life on Monday because of an empty tomb on Sunday. In fact, beginning in verse 50 of the 15th chapter, Paul connects the resurrection of Jesus to our own resurrection. There were some denying the resurrection. Did you know that recently there was a study done in Great Britain and 25% of people who identified themselves as Christians denied the literal and bodily resurrection of Jesus? The idea that Christianity has become one of many religions in the world with a list of values and shared moral principles that you can apply to your life and some way, somehow, mystically and mysteriously connect with God is rampant among our culture. And yet the New Testament writers never got past the importance of believing in the bodily death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. In fact, look with me beginning in verse 50, and let me begin to read. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And he begins to talk about the second coming and the resurrection of the dead. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And at this point, Paul breaks out in worship. He quotes Isaiah and Hosea. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And then he tells us that verse we've been reading this week. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this amazing crescendo of celebration that the resurrection has happened, and it should change how we live. And So I want to leave you with one verse. And it's verse 58. This is what he says. Therefore, always study what the therefore is there for. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So after dealing with the reality of an empty tomb, Paul squares this up and he says, and by the way, everything I've just told you about the eternal glory of the Son, the victory of an empty tomb, the glorious arrival of his second coming, everything about the resurrection should mean you live differently come Monday. When we begin to think about not only the celebration of the resurrection, but the application of the resurrection, I find in this verse three truths I want to share with you. If Jesus finished death, take these two truths with you this week. If Jesus finished death, never waver off him. Biblical Christianity becoming more and more unpopular. Now I'm not going to suggest that you and I live under the persecution of our friends, brothers, and sisters in the Lord in other places. We most certainly do not. But there has never been a day where we've seen more of an assault on the idea that God is the God of the Bible, that Jesus is the Son of God, That he came, lived, died, and rose again, just as the scriptures predicted. In fact, this is so central that Paul said this is first in the line of important truths. In fact, earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is more important than where you go to church on Sunday. It's more important than whether or not you read your Bible. It's more important than whether or not you pray, Paul would say. Of the first importance. This is the building block on which everything in our faith then hinges and has life. For I delivered to you as of the first importance what I also received. And here it is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with with the scriptures, and that after he died, he would go on to be buried, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance of scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Paul says, there's nothing more important in our lives as Christians than to begin our faith journey on this. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. Timothy Keller, a great intellectual, far, far more intelligent pastor than myself, said it this way. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. So if that's true, and I was watching you backstage sing with all of your might, many of you, with your hand lifted, all of you applauding. If Jesus really rose from the dead, then he should define your dating relationship. If Jesus really rose from the dead, then he should inform how you husband or how you wife. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he should inform the language you use at work tomorrow. The attitude with which you carry yourself, your commitment to your church, your friends, your loved one, and your family. If we really believe the tomb is empty and he has overcome it, then the fragrance of an empty grave should permeate every decision and every relationship in our life. We don't waver. I was at a light waiting in traffic on Highway 29 the other day. We all do that quite often now. And a little bumper sticker in front of me caught my attention. It's from our neighbors at the Universal Unitarian Church. It is a church not like ours. They would not affirm any absolute truth. In fact, it is basically an effort to embrace all religions and mix them together and sort of find your own way. It would not be a biblical or true Christian church. But our friends at the Universal, or Unitarian Universal Church have this bumper sticker, love beyond belief. Now, if you mean and I love you beyond anything you can believe, then I'm with you, I understand that. But that's not what that bumper sticker means. What that bumper sticker means is, stop focusing so much on belief and just love people. Again, I think all people of all faiths ought to be kind, compassionate, law-abiding, friendly neighbors. I'm for that. I think we should respect any person, no matter the lifestyle they live, or the religion they practice, and that we should be beacons of kindness, compassion, and love. But I don't know love beyond my belief in Jesus. In fact, it is my belief in Jesus that teaches me what real love is, because love in and of my own human heart is extraordinarily limited and unbelievably self-serving. In fact, the love of God was shown to us first in that while we were sinners, he loved us. And then not only overcoming our sin at the cross, he validated his deity by overcoming death at the grave. And therefore, the scripture says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable. Don't move. Ephesians 4 talks about spiritual maturity, and he says, I don't want you to be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. If you've ever coached kids in any sport, pick your sport, tennis, volleyball, golf, baseball, football, even soccer. Pick your sport. Every coach will tell you, every female coach, every male coach will tell you that every sport... Barring very few starts in an athletic position. Your feet are just a little bit outside of your shoulders. Maybe shoulder width apart if you're broad-shouldered. Maybe a little bit uh, further apart than your shoulders if you're not. The, w- the weight of your body is up on the balls of your feet. Your ankles and your knees are bent. You push your hips a little bit down. You're facing forward. Your head is square. And you engage the largest part of the muscles God gave you. You're all sitting on yours right now. Mine's facing that way of which is a blessing. And this is how you play. You can play this way with a golf club in your hand, with a tennis racket in your hand. You can play this way ready to receive a serve of an opposing volleyball team. You play this way when you're preparing to steal a base. You play this way when you're holding a baseball in your stance. You play this way if you're going to play linebacker. You play this way if you're going to play tailback. Some some positions you may put a hand down, but this is where you are. And this is why you're in this position. Two reasons. One, this engages the core, the glutes. It engages the large muscles of your body and it creates an environment where either you can move quickly if you need to, or you can stand your ground if you're in a contact sport. In the sport of football, if you don't want to be blocked, you better be in a good position. You may just be larger than the person trying to block you, but once you reach a certain level, everybody's big, everybody's fast, and everybody's strong. So your body position determines whether or not you are immovable, steadfast. Biblically speaking, this is the word. Paul is saying, the world is going to chase all kinds of stuff. You don't move off the resurrection. You don't let anybody tell you anything other than this. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. And that then determines the foundation of truth I build my life on. Never waver. Secondly, always work for him. Always work for him. Look what he does in this verse, second phrase. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. In the original language, the word always is at the end, so really it reads this way. Abounding in the work of the Lord always. Now, what we tend to do is when we hear that, we think, well, that's what missionaries do. That's what pastor does. That's what my small group leader does. That's what those gifted musicians do. That's what the people that parked my car this morning and waved me in, they're doing the work of the Lord on Sunday. True, and I'm so thankful for those people, and I'm thankful for many of you who serve in our ministries. But in the New Testament, the work of the Lord far again exceeds just what you do on Sunday. The work of the Lord is committing yourself to the task and the mission of, of of deciding that I'm gonna leverage my life, whether I'm in medical care, whether I serve children, whether I'm a stay-at-home mom or a retiree or I'm a 17-year-old still in high school, because the grave is empty, Jesus not only died to save me and lives to call me to Himself, He determines the trajectory of my life. I then come to every decision in every relationship, and I ask the question. This decision that I'm facing, this business that I'm running, this family member I'm trying to minister to, this position of conflict, this dating relationship, this struggle in my marriage, whatever we face, we come to it saying, Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, Jesus is Lord. Therefore, Jesus gets to call the shots. Therefore, Lord, it's not my will in this situation, though I have passions and wants and dislikes and things that I'm good at, but Lord ultimately what would you have me do this is why the vision of church at the meal is real practical we take the words right out of the new testament the work of the lord is for every mom in this room the work of the lord is for every student in this room the work of the lord is for every person in this room in your 50s 60s and 70s to gather grow give and go it matters that you gather with your church on the lord's day It matters that you gather for small groups. It matters that you grow in your walk with the Lord and you grow with others. It matters that you say, you know what, Lord, you did not save me to set me. You saved me that I might serve you. How can I be in ministry because of an empty tomb? And it matters that you use your life to make the gospel known. Do you know there are people in the world today that have never heard that Jesus rose from the dead? It's hard to believe. Even with Google, it's hard to believe. It's almost like there's nothing unknown nowadays but there are whole populations of people that have no access to a clear explanation of the gospel why do you think we even care about becoming a multi-site church it's not because we're trying to grow our name it's because we think everybody in their community should have access to a bible teaching church that is built on those pillars that have helped church at the mill biblical exposition enthusiastic worship loving on children and students, and getting adults involved in discipleship. Those four things make a great church casserole. And it matters that you be a part of that. You'll hear people say, well, you know, Pastor, I believe in it. I'm going to hit you on Easter. I'm going to come on Christmas. I, I come when I can. I, I'm just not quite where I need to be. Listen, if you're looking for a version of Christianity without room for you to struggle, I don't have one. I absolutely believe Christians can and do struggle. If you want to find a Christian who struggles, just follow me around. I struggle, make mistakes, fail. But there's a difference between struggling. There's a difference between stumbling, recognizing what it is and moving away from it. There's a difference between a season of discouragement brought on by something you're dealing with and a consistent life opposing the will of God. I want you to listen to this statement very carefully. It is not immoral for a person who truly knows the risen Christ to live a life of consistent disobedience and disinterest in the mission of God. You say, oh, yes, it is. No, it's not immoral. It's impossible. It's impossible. Think about what Paul says in Romans 6. Paul says these words in Romans 6 about the newness of life. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He he goes on to say, talking about the resurrection, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, wouldn't you expect at that point for him to say, just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we too one day will be raised from the dead, but that's not what he said, although that's true. He says, just as Jesus was raised from the dead for the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So there should be a difference in the way we live because Jesus lives. In the very next chapter of the book of Romans, Romans 7, he deals with the law. He says, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. If you're looking for a faithful of do's and don'ts, a religion that's checkboxes, that if you keep them, you go, and if you don't keep them, you don't go, Christianity is not it. Christianity is filled with moral truth, and there are obligations and commands on our life. But the power to obey does not come from without, it comes from within when Christ the Spirit lives in us. This is why Paul said these words, So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So Jesus' resurrection is connected to the spiritual fruit in my life. He goes on to say, For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions arise by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But guess what happened? I love this next verse so much. But now we are released from the law. You don't have to be perfect. We're released from the law having died to that which held us captive, Jesus, remember? So that we serve In the new way, what's the new way? He says it, of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Remember what I said? You know why it's impossible? I'll tell you why it's impossible. If the spirit of a risen Savior lives in you, you may not always get it right, but you won't to. And when you fail, there's brokenness when things aren't quite right, when your priorities have gotten a little out of whack, when you've been thinking a little too much about self, you feel him pressing, saying, Sister, that's not what I saved you to live life. Brother, that's not what I want for your life. You and I want to always be working for him. Finally, never waver off him. Always work for him. And most importantly... Go to him to remember your why. Remember your why is in him. You know what your why is, right? You ever had anybody say, what's your why? What's your mean is, what's your motivation? Some of you say, I'm motivated by my children. I love my children so much. I do everything for my children. That means you're broke and tired, just like me, everybody else in there. That's what children do. They suck the life right out of you. Gone. You're tired. We get through raising them, we die. We wore out done some of you say no 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 I've met somebody and he's awesome he's my why it'll wear off it'll wear off I got a new job and man it's awesome yeah remember how that works when you go to the interview they want you to think they're the greatest company and you want you them to think you're the greatest employee and about six minutes into your first day you both realize you were lying even if it's church. I love my church. Listen, I love my church too. I'm so grateful for it. Right now we're in a season of revival. God's doing some amazing things. But hang around us long enough, we'll fail you. Even church can't be your why. What's your why? An empty grave is my why. Because I have a Savior who is alive, and the Savior inspired the Apostle Paul to make one powerful statement. It is the last one I will read and will be dismissed. He says, knowing, verse 58, last phrase, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because Jesus is alive, he sees every tear shed on his behalf. Because he's alive, even when you make those small decisions that no one else sees of righteousness, God sees it, and he'll honor it. Is that not what he says in the book of Hebrews? In the book of Hebrews, the writer says, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Jesus' salvation is free, but if you're serious about following him, it will cost you something. Heaven forbid a church having an Easter service where we tell you that the gospel is God going to in entirely eliminate all of your struggles now. In fact, I would tell you the scripture says if you're serious about standing for the Lord, you may lose relationships. There are some of you who need to redefine or re-look at the person you're dating because of the immorality of the relationships. Others of you are in a marriage and you are struggling to hang on and you feel like it's a one-way street and your spouse is showing little interest in reconciliation. Some of you are dealing with serious, I'm not talking about trivial or funny, serious parenting struggles with a child that is dealing with you and is challenging your authority. Some of you will walk into a work environment tomorrow and everybody around you has a mind that's in the gutter and you are constantly bombarded with language and innuendo and situations and different types of sinful compromise that just chip away at your spirit and you catch yourself constantly having to make decision. I need to do what's right. Lord, help me honor you. And in those moments, I may not know what you're going through. Your closest friend may not know what you're going through. I want you to know your Savior knows what you're going through. And according to Paul, because Jesus is alive, anything you do for the Lord is never in vain. He does not waste pain. He does not ignore tears. And I promise I promise you when he calls you to walk through the fire, remember on the other side is a new life and the doorway is a death that ended up being an empty tomb. Jesus does not waste our work. It's not in vain. Just think about what we've all read since last Easter. I just sort of did a, a brain dump of headlines I've read. COVID-19, political unrest, racial tension, social injustice, broken immigration system, assault on the unborn, moral relativism, social distancing, vaccine distribution, rising fuel costs, challenged education system, mass shootings, cancel culture, socialist agenda, voting policies, the LBGTQ plus agenda, rising health care costs, global persecution of Christians, and a deeply divided country i don't know about you but this is what i see every day when i open up news apps social media or even for some of you a newspaper every day i see this and you begin to say what am i supposed to do this is what easter would say none of those things have to define my joy because he lives You know what Jesus said just before his arrest? He says, in a little while, the world will see me no more. Oh, but you'll see me. (laughs) And because I live, you also will live. You see, you can stand for Christ tomorrow at work because he lived. You can hang on in that marriage that's struggling because he lives. You can revisit that strained relationship with someone and say, hey, listen, (laughs) this isn't about you, it's not about me. Because Jesus lives, there is power for us to be reconciled. You can break up with that person you're dating because the relationship does not honor God. And in the tears of sorrow with your heart broken, you can do it because Jesus lives. You can honor the Lord with your tithes, your offering. You can swallow that lump in your throat and talk to someone who is lost and without Christ and everything about their life is a flag waving despair and dissension in their heart. You can cross over that gap and you can say, I want to tell you about Jesus because he lives. So if you're looking for your why, I got nothing better for you than a Savior who's alive. And when he comes back, he'll usher in a resurrection for all who know and love him. Today is a celebration of Easter. Make Monday an application of Easter because he lives. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your word. Lord, my worst walking comes when I forget That you live mentally I would never deny you but spiritually my heart can quickly move on to so many other distractions and I forget that you live you live for the 16 year old boy in this room you live for the 9 year old little girl you live for the 45 year old woman you live for the 73 year old grandfather you live For the person who is broke and on their last nickel, you live for the person who has amassed extreme wealth. You live for the sinner and the saint. You live. And because you live, we can face tomorrow. Because you live, all fear is gone. Because we know who holds the future life is worth the living because you live. And when it seems hard and we want to walk away, we want to give up, we want to slide back into apathy, help us to remember one day we'll cross that river. We'll fight life's final death with pain. And when pain gives way to victory, we'll see the lights of glory and we'll proclaim, Because... You live. I'm going to say amen, and when I do, we're going to stand and we're going to sing this precious old hymn. It is truly a hymn of Easter. Our counselors are here at this altar. Our prayer room is ready and willing for you to step in and have a moment of confidential prayer with someone there. Whatever your decision, we want to encourage you to make it. And why? Well, not because we ask. Not just because you need to, though you do. Not because you'll continue to struggle until you turn, but because he lives. Father, you move now as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen.